This is Audible. Welcome to Hexford in deepest Sussex. That's what the sign says at the edge of our village, about half a mile after that new estate they've built. You drive in past the mini-market and the vandalised telephone box, and before you know it, you're at the village green. It's an idyllic, sleepy sort of place. Bucolic, I've heard it called. But we've had some strange goings-on here over the years. Mrs Wibsey, people say to me, you always seem to be at the heart of the upset, you and that doctor fellow. It's a wonder you go on being his housekeeper. Yes, well, old habits die hard. And looking after Ness Cottage, the doctor's home from home, and all his things in it has become second nature to me, even if it does seem to entail a lot of upset. Just ask Mike Yates. Oh, he can't mind it so much since he's retired here himself now. What happened with that coven business was a case in point. Neither Mike nor I had seen the doctor for over two years. Naturally, I'd started to wonder and fret, thinking that something awful must have happened to him out there in space. The cottage was full of all his books and equipment, and I wondered what would happen to it all if he never came back. It seemed such a waste, all that knowledge and clever trickery sitting idle. Then we had those awful floods in the spring, and suddenly I remembered a miraculous device the doctor had once used to clear the nest cottage drains. Now, I'm not supposed to interfere with the technological gubbins in the cellar, but the drains were backed up something awful. Well, I thought, it's not being used by the doctor. So I went and found the futuristic machine, and it was amazing. Worked a treat. Then after a while, I started looking around at the other incredible gizmos he had down there under the floorboards. But you see, the thing about these scientific wonders of the doctors is it's a bit like opening Pandora's box. And who could have guessed where it was all going to end? BBC Audio presents Doctor Who, The Winged Coven, by Paul Mars. Read by Susan Jameson. Now, certain people in the village had been acting very strangely of late. I wasn't the only one to have noticed, but one doesn't like to gossip, so I'd kept mum. Then blow me, if one day the doctor didn't pop up out of the blue and start sniffing the air like a bloodhound. Mrs Wibsey, he said in that casual way of his, there's something odd going on here, isn't there? All I could do was stand there and nod helplessly. I didn't even know where to begin with all the things that had been happening. There's witches, I told him. That's the main thing. Witches, he gasped. I don't like the sound of that. Do they do dark deeds by moonlight and meet secretly to carry out unspeakable rites? That's exactly what's been going on. I poured the tea and hoped some extra sugar would settle my nerves. 
They'd been jangled by bumping into him in the woods while I was out walking the dog that very morning. Captain the Wolfhound had dragged the end of the doctor's ludicrous scarf out of the undergrowth. It had given me quite a turn. I raveled it up, excited and worried all at the same time, and then I'd found him, lying there on the damp grass with his hat over his face. Oh, for all too many seconds I thought he was dead and I'd found his corpse. But then he bellowed at me through his hat. Good morning, Mrs. Wibsey. Nice to see you again. Oh, and I was so cross. What are you doing down there, you fool? I have returned from the brink of eternity, he boomed, lifting his hat and grinning at me. Because I believe you need my help. And now there he was, sitting in Nest Cottage with me once more. He slurped his tea as we sat by the fire. I think you'd better tell me all about it, Mrs. Wibsey. And so I explained that the first I'd really heard about the trouble was when the disappearances started up in Hexford Woods. Dog walkers came back saying they'd lost their pets. And then the pet owners themselves vanished as they went looking for Fido or Persephone or whoever. And also the postmistress, Emily Strange. She never came back after telling her sister she was going for a wander in Rotten Cops. But then again, I reflected as I poured the doctor more tea, perhaps it all really started when Camilla Cookson moved into the village and opened up her bakery. I could never see why she was touting for business in our little village. There's barely enough people to sustain the annual jumble sale, let alone a posh cake shop with its supposedly delicious pastries and cakes and sponge fingers and whatnot. She soon had a loyal clientele. They were queuing down the street to sample her wares. It was all a bit sickly for my tastes. And to be perfectly candid, I just didn't like the look of the woman. Snooty and peculiar, I thought. Really, though, most of the changes came about when our local author, Tish Maddock, joined the local witch's coven. That's not how they referred to themselves, of course. Up till then, they'd been a fairly quiet, discreet little club with an interest in the occult, as they put it on the village notice board. But when Tish decided to do some research for her next novel, which was going to have a supernatural theme, well, that's when things started to get out of hand. Yes, 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 Mrs. Wibsey, said the doctor impatiently as I was telling him all of this. I think I've heard quite enough tittle-tattle for one evening. Let's go and do some actual investigating, shall we? He beamed at me and jumped up to pull his coat and scarf back on. Even though by then it was after midnight, I knew very well there'd be no getting out of it. We thought about taking Captain for a walk, but the old wolfhound was dozing in front of the fire. He was getting too old and too creaky for tramping about in the woods after dark. So was I, but it happens. But I didn't expect the doctor to listen to my complaints. I hope that dog is being properly looked after, the doctor muttered, and I pointed out that Mike Yates still walked him every morning. The dog divided his time between our two households, though he spent more time with me because Tish's sister, Deirdre, is allergic to dog hair. 
Anyway, I reassured the doctor that, of course, I was making sure that the dog and the cottage and everything was cared for in his absence while he was travelling in time and space, just as usual. He could rely on all of us. Mike's living here in Hexford, is he? the doctor asked as we crept through the deserted village lanes. Yes, he finally made the move last year. He lodges with Deirdre and her cousin Tish. I don't know the precise arrangements, I'm sure, but they make a very happy household, seemingly. We made for the woods. It was so dark I couldn't see where we were going at all. I just took hold of one end of the doctor's scarf and was dragged along in his wake as he hurried through the crepuscular undergrowth. Rotten cops, he said, and his voice was loud in the dark clearing. The name befits it. Who in their right mind would come here to dance around and worship dark forces? Any fool can feel the strange emanations here, surely. Isn't it obvious that this is a place of ancient evil? I trailed after him, shivering. But you don't believe in magic and all that mumbo-jumbo, do you? He shook his head. Not in the sense you mean, but I certainly believe in beings of such weird sophistication that anything they ever did would seem magical to the people of this earth. Beings that keep a beady eye on this planet and its people. When folks start playing around with things they don't understand, that's like sending out invitations to who knows what. He stopped suddenly and my nose bashed into one of his shoulder blades. With a sigh, I said, I did warn Tish Maddock not to join in with all that witchy stuff. It's not worth it, I said, not even for research. But she wouldn't listen to me. Mike looked troubled by it all as well, but he won't stand up to her. He's in thrall to her, thinks she's marvellous. And you know, Deirdre's a wet blanket at the best of times. Listen! The doctor burst out suddenly. Can you hear that? It was an owl. No, it was more than that. There was a whooshing noise, something unearthly, like the noise of a, a window being opened in the sky, followed by a storm tearing through the heavens. And then it stopped. Will-o'-the-wisp, the doctor breathed. There were lights in the darkness up ahead. They flicked and danced briefly, then faded away. I'd have scarpered if it was up to me, but the doctor walked straight on over to them. They were gone before we got there, but that was when we stumbled over. Oh! What is it? I cried out as I almost fell onto the horrible, sticky mass. The doctor crouched and played his pentorch over the swaddled-up bundle. Oh, it was a horrible, messy thing, like a sticky ball made of feathers and leaves and twigs. The doctor began picking away at it, and I wished he wouldn't. It reminded me of a giant chrysalis. He said, I think there's a body inside this thing. And as soon as the words were out of his mouth, we saw the face. It was that of an old woman looking straight up at us from that vile morass. The eyes darted about. She was alive. Her lips moved, and a broken voice said, Ordinary first class, or sign on delivery? I gasped. It's Emily Strange. 
the postmistress. We carried Emily between us back through the woods. She weighed hardly anything, even with all that stuff swaddled about her. All the way she was babbling incoherently, which gave me the creeps, frankly. There, there, my dear, said the doctor, leading the way to the nearest building with lights still on at the edge of the village. It was the newish local mini-mart. All those flickering fluorescent lights were enough to give you a headache coming in from the pitch dark. The automatic doors beeped loudly as we staggered inside, carrying the postmistress, and straight away the doctor was shouting orders at the two women stood behind the counter. She's badly dehydrated and frozen. She'll need some tomato soup and a continental quilt. The women came over. They seemed wary of us, but not particularly alarmed or concerned about what we'd found. Wanda and Vera, their name badges said. They both looked about 40, and I realised I didn't recognise either of them. I try to avoid using the Minimart, except in the direst of emergencies, but even so, I tend to know most of the faces in Hexford. Must be from the new estate, I thought. Quickly, the doctor snapped. This woman has been through a terrible ordeal. Whilst all that was going on, I was sitting on the floor with Emily's head cradled in my lap. Listen, doctor. She's trying to talk. Her face was a rictus of panic and fear. I should be dead, she gasped. Am I dead? It, it caught me up. It swooped, took me in its talons, and, and it was e e eating me. The doctor crouched beside us and listened in horror. He looked appalled. I don't like the sound of this at all. He barked suddenly at the shop ladies. Are you actually going to do anything? Heat some soup up. They still weren't perturbed by any of it. It's all right, the one called Wanda said smoothly. There's no need to worry about her. The other one, Vera, added, We've seen this before. This woman is insane. No, I said. This is the Hexford postmistress. You must have heard about it. She went missing a week ago. It's been all over the courier. Something awful has happened to Emily. She's been dabbling in the darker arts, Vera said scornfully. This is what becomes of those who get mixed up in things they should not. The doctor looked appalled. Whatever Emily's been dabbling in, that shouldn't alter our compassion for her plight, should it? I didn't like the sound of the old lady's ragged breathing. She was still muttering under her breath, devouring, it was devouring me. When I looked again at the doctor, I saw that he was frozen. What was the matter with him? And then I saw. Both Vera and Wanda had guns trained at his head. Quite casually, they'd taken weapons out of the pockets of their work pinnies and aimed them at the doctor. His eyes were wide with shock, not just at the threat of death, but also the fact that these were futuristic kinds of weapons. Slim, silver things, like magic wands. They looked horribly familiar. You can guess what these will do to organic tissue, Wanda said calmly. I suggest you leave this shop immediately and tell no one about what you've seen tonight. 
The doctor scoffed at her. You think I'll do what you say just because you've got a space weapon capable of wiping my whole mind completely blank? Vera nodded. We know how clever you think you are, Doctor. Whether you like it or not, you're at our mercy. He shook his head crossly. How did you get your hands on these things? <laughs> I really can't think, Vera laughed. Or did we buy them on the Hexford black market? You really should be more careful with your belongings, Doctor. I realised that all eyes were on me. Uh, Doctor, I began, I think you and I need to have a bit of a talk. Now go, said Vera in a thunderous voice. Leave the husk reject where she lies. She belongs with us. You will forget you ever saw her, and we will let you live. The doctor was full of misgivings. You'll see that she gets help. Leave this place, cried Wanda, losing her cool for the first time. The doctor looked really annoyed when we left the mini-mart and the electronic doors swished shut on our heels. We must go back and help Emily, he vowed. We can't just leave her with those terrible women. We hurried across the dark village green, and I was trying to keep up with him, making excuses. I, I don't know how they got those gun things out of the cellar. Honestly, I don't. He stopped in his tracks. Mike lives with Deirdre and Tish now, you say, next door to Nest Cottage? This way, I said, keen to make amends, and hurried to Deirdre Watsit's thatched cottage, which thankfully still had lit windows. The two ladies and Mike Yates were awake and listening to old records on the gramophone. Tea on a brass. I think they'd been having a nightcap, as there was creme de Mont's glasses on the side table. Mike jumped up in delighted surprise when the doctor came striding into the sitting room. There's no time for happy reunions, the doctor snapped. Deirdre swung straight into hostess mode, flapping around him. Oh, are we glad to see you, doctor. That Welsh accent of hers, I'm sure she puts it on extra thick just to seem exotic. We found your missing postmistress, Emily Strange, half dead in the woods, said the doctor. We quickly filled them in on the rest of the night's disturbing events. Hmm, alien technology, said Mike musingly, and he cast a quick glance across the sitting room, straight at me. He and I were complicit in something I hardly dared think about. All of a sudden I was feeling horribly guilty, trying to remember what else we'd unearthed from beneath Nest Cottage. Tish Maddock started saying things, holding court in her usual overdramatic way. She went on about her research and getting herself accepted by the local white witches and how she had thought it was all harmless nonsense, really. I remembered what she told me only last week about the things that had transpired in the woods, and yet tonight she wasn't anywhere near as forthcoming but I could clearly recall the things she had confided in me about the lights and noises in Rotten Cops, and how even the High Priestess was alarmed, how the silly lot of them wondered if they had actually, on that particular occasion, actually summoned something up from another dimension. 
The doctor was keen to talk to Mike in order to gain his more professional impressions of conditions here in Hexford Village. I'll be needing your help, Mike, he said in dark tones. And then he turned to look at all of us. The rest of you as well. There seems to be some kind of incursion happening here in Hexford, and we must all be on our guard. Yes, I thought so, Mike said, nodding thoughtfully. There's been an insidious atmosphere in the village for months. Tish sniffed. Not helped by those ludicrous local elections, with everyone getting overexcited about dustbin collections and potholes. If Mrs. Wibsey hadn't calmed everything down with that transponder device... All at once the room fell silent, and I imagined a huge pit opening up to swallow me. You could have heard a doll's hat pin drop. I felt everyone's eyes boring into me, including, of course, the doctor's. Tish started to backtrack, pretending she'd been making a joke, but the doctor's voice cut across her. "'Who is in charge of this so-called witch's coven?' he snapped. Tish leapt at the change of subject. "'Well, it used to be a rather famous oculist from Brighton who's written several books about being a white witch. She seemed like a friendly, harmless soul. But just after I joined, she was supplanted by someone altogether younger and pushier.' Her name's Camilla Cookson. She's the one who owns the bakery, put in Deirdre. She's too nice for her own good, if you see what I mean. Sickly nice. I never liked the look of her. And her cakes give me indigestion. That may be, but she's a very effective high priestess, said Tish. The doctor pulled a face and crashed down his cup and saucer. Then he called to me quite sharply, We're going home, Wibbs. There's nothing more we can do tonight. Then without a word he got up and went, leaving the others muttering at his back about his moodiness. I shrugged excuses at them and, and hurried after him. Once home at Nest Cottage, he turned to me. Mrs. Wibsey, what have you been doing with my equipment? I became defensive. I couldn't help it. It was only when I thought I could be of some help. It started with the machine for the drains, but that was straightforward enough. The next thing was the transponder. You went around and Mike and I had started to think that you were never coming back. Anything could happen to you when you're on your travels in the TARDIS. Goodness knows I've seen enough to realise that. It was during the local elections, and all the villagers were going crazy. People were at each other's throats. There were fights and threats and, and awful things going on. I felt I needed to do something. You told me about the transponder once, showed me what it can do. And then, when I came across your notes and realised I could figure out how to use it... He slapped his forehead. What? You read my notes? I was cleaning down there in the cellar, and I happened to find them. I remembered your saying how it can make people see things from someone else's point of view, and, and I just thought, well, where's the harm? His eyes boggled at me. How many times have I warned you about messing about with my belongings? Didn't you learn your lesson with that demon and the jumble sale? 
I'm ashamed to recall it now, but I found myself bursting out. You left me on my own again. You've been gone for two years. Every time I just assume you're not coming back. He growled at me. Even if I never return, you're still my housekeeper, Mrs. Wibsey, and it is your duty to watch over everything. Do you hear me? Everything that I entrust to your care here at Nest Cottage. I nodded. Yes, Doctor, I said, remembering that unlike most of his travelling companions, I was first and foremost his employee, and I had failed in my task. There... there was an, another thing, another device, something that in your notes you called an ulterior wave transmitter. I think I might have used that too at one point. He gazed at me appalled. You think? And where is it now? Mike has it. It's safe. Mrs. Wibsey, he said, I am not at all happy with you taking matters into your own hands like this. All of those devices have been acquired from extraterrestrial civilizations and hidden here at the cottage for good reason. What's the point of all my effort if then you go waving them about the village willy-nilly? A thought suddenly struck him. And how did those women in the Minimart get hold of laser weapons? I shook my head. That I really don't know. I promise you, Doctor, that they must have snuck in here somehow. I, I did hold a not very successful coffee morning on August Bank holiday. Perhaps some folk were too nosy for their own good. He glared at me. I'm going into the TARDIS now, assuming you haven't yet sold her to the highest bidder. I suggest you get some sleep. Tomorrow we start putting this village back to rights. And so, first thing in the morning, and with hardly a civil word spoken between us, the doctor and I hurried to the little Hexford cake shop of dreams. That's what the silly woman had called it. The window was full of bunting and pastel colours and signs saying ridiculous things such as keep calm and eat more cake. The doctor surveyed the display of cloying confectionery with a gloomy expression. Looks to me as if all this decoration is covering up something very wicked indeed. Then he burst through the front door and the little bell above it went ting. Already there were customers queuing inside. I could see at once there was something odd about them. The air was laced with a heady sweetness that made my senses reel. And there, standing behind the counter, dressed in ruffles and lace and a gingham pinny, was Camilla Cookson, looking like butter, icing sugar and fondant fancies wouldn't melt in her mouth. Her hair was the colour and shape of a giant golden meringue. The doctor barged his way straight to the front of the queue. The customers started muttering, but they recognised the doctor and knew better than to get into a verbal sparring match with him. They let him push in, even if they were mad keen for their cakes and buns. 
Camilla Cookson stared over the counter at the doctor, a greedy gleam in her eye. Hello, my dear, he beamed at her. I've heard all sorts of wonderful things about you and the marvellous effect you've had upon this charming village. Camilla returned his smile without hesitation, but I wasn't fooled. Her eyes were bright and hard, green like Angelica. They glittered menacingly, studying him. The doctor carried on giving her the old soft soap and flannel, chatting her up something rotten. Meanwhile... I knew what I had to do to make amends. We'd worked it all out. While he was chatting away with her and keeping her distracted, I would slip through to the back of the shop. With the doctor holding forth, I had no fear of being noticed. At first, there was nothing you wouldn't be expecting. Huge quantities of butter and sacks of sugar and industrial-sized ovens blasting out heat and noise... Giant mixers were churning vast amounts of sticky dough. But I pressed on, peering into cupboards and larders. There was a strange smell at the very back of the bakery. At first, I couldn't put my finger on it. Then I realised decay. That's what it was. My nose led me to a secret larder at the back of the bakery. Oh! horrible place. There were hooks, hooks and chains hanging from the ceiling in the dark and the concrete floor was oily. I recognised the smell of blood. I had to stifle my screams because I bumped into the things hanging off those hooks. Cadavers, feathered things, fleshy things. Bits of bodies. I couldn't even tell what they were. I couldn't get away from there fast enough. I scooted out, glad to slam the door behind me. And then I could hear something familiar. A low humming noise. And I realised the previous night we'd been talking about devices from the doctor's cellar and blow me if I couldn't hear one of them working right now. I crept into a small office where Camilla Cookson's paperwork was laid out very neatly. All her pencils were sharpened and everything was organised just so. And bang in the middle of the room, emitting this weird humming noise, was the doctor's special machine. The transponder. It was sending out waves of fluorescent green light and they were going out through the skylight into the clouds above Hexford. Just then there was a noise at the door and I turned. The doctor hadn't kept Camilla distracted for long enough. What the devil are you up to going through my precious papers and belongings? She seethed. Oh yes, the mask slipped straight away. She wasn't nicey-nice like she always was at the front of the shop. She had her painted nails out like they were talons, and she wanted to tear my flesh. Never mind that. What are you doing with the doctor's transponder? I asked her. Even now it was sending out waves of light and energy. <gasps> Brain control, I suddenly thought. She's making the whole village see everything from her point of view. Luckily, I seemed to be immune for some reason, and that made her even more furious as she rounded on me with those talons flashing. 
You know secrets, Mrs. Wibsey, she screeched at me. Those eyes of hers were crazy. They were black and gold and quite inhuman. I could see that now as she got closer and closer, and I could smell her breath. And it wasn't the sweetness of icing sugar she breathed. It was the rank, sickly odour of rotting flesh. You're too clever, Mrs. Wibsey. Cleverer than you know anyway, Miss Cookson, I said. I did some quick thinking and told her, yes, aren't you glad that I'm clever, eh? And that I made sure that the transponder fell into your hands? Now you can control the minds of all those you choose to and take over all of Hexford and its environs. Yes, it was me who made sure that you had this in your possession, Miss Cookson. Didn't you realise? At first, she wouldn't have it. She thought she'd stolen it herself and was quite indignant at the idea that I might be cleverer than she imagined. I told her that I wanted to see her as High Priestess of the Coven and the Witch Queen of the whole of Hexford and Sussex, if she wanted, and that all I desired was the chance to join her witchy gang. I laughed in what I hoped sounded like triumph. She was delighted, and she agreed. She invited me right there and then, as guest of honour, to join their Black Sabbath in the woods that very evening. I did feel brave, but I thought someone has to find out what that monstrous woman is up to. And so I was free to go. I was amazed at my quick thinking. I slipped out of that shop and hurried to Nest Cottage, where the doctor was waiting to hear about my adventure. I'd no sooner brought the doctor up to date when there came a brisk knock at the cottage door. Captain barked once but didn't leave his place by the hearth. It was Mike, lugging the loops and coils of the ulterior wave transmitter which he'd retrieved from the village hall. The village hall? The doctor was appalled. What was it doing there? Mike was shamefaced. I thought we might need it at the next village meeting. Mrs. Wibsey said it might help bang a few heads together. You idiots, the doctor said. You could have caused untold damage by messing about with my belongings. These things aren't weapons. The ulterior wave transmitted us peculiar and sensitive things with the consciousness of higher beings. Look, I'll show you. So while I went off to make some tea, the doctor rigged up a quick experiment. When I came back in with the tea tray, I found Captain the Wolfhound and former Captain Mike Yates both sitting there with what looked like colanders on their heads and a mass of messy wires trailing between them. Behold, cried the doctor with the air of a stage magician, I have swapped their minds. I set down the tea tray affecting an air of innocence. Oh, so that's what it does, isn't it? He pulled a face. Well, just about. The machine selects and copies the consciousness of one being and pastes it into the body of the next. 
It's very technical, but hopefully a lesson to you both in being more cautious with things you don't understand. I was a bit disturbed by the expression on both the dog and Mike's faces. They looked startled. I just hope you can reverse it, I told the doctor. Of course, he grinned with huge confidence. I just need a few hours to recharge the battery. That was the night I got carried away with myself. Firstly, I went over to Tish and Deirdre to explain my plan for infiltrating the witch's coven. Do you think that's a good idea, my dear? Tish Maddock was concerned, but I realised she was probably worried that I was about to blow her cover. The doctor thinks it's a very good idea, said I curtly. And he'll be watching from the undergrowth in Rotten Cops along with Mike, so they'll be on hand if anything too untoward starts to occur. Knitting by the fire, Deirdre Watsit was wearing a woebegone expression. I wish neither of you had got involved in dark forces. We don't have any choice, I said. What with Camilla Cookson enslaving everyone's minds and bodies and whatever it is that's going on in the woods... We must be brave and confront it all and then sort it out. If I've learned anything in my time with the doctor, that's it. You have to face up to things. The two women were looking at me with a grudging admiration and that pleased me. Then it was time to try on a spare set of acolytes robes that Tish was lending me. It was a slippery purple satin gown with a hood. I told her there was no way I was going to be what she called sky-clad underneath. But, Mrs. Whipsey, they'll find you out at once if they realise you're wearing your everyday clothes underneath. I shot her a look that brooked no argument. It's all very well for Tish Maddock to go skipping about in the woods in the near nude at midnight, but it's not for me, I'm afraid. She ran through the nonsense words of a few of their chants and songs, and just the strange sound of them made me shiver. Next thing I knew, it was time to meet up with the rest of the coven, and Tish and I had a quick word with the doctor. He told me that I needn't go through with it if I was getting the collie wobbles. We can send Mike instead, can't we, he said, but I made sure I gave a brave smile. The doctor had some new kind of strange device he'd lashed together out of bits and pieces of electronic gubbins. He said it was to determine exactly what kind of extraterrestrial influence was manifesting itself here in Hexford. I remembered what Tish had told me about forces from another dimension, and I wondered whether she'd say anything about them now, before we went out to encounter them in person. But no... She kept mum. And then we were tramping through the trees. Tish and I going ahead, while Mike and the doctor kept at a safe distance behind. I knew that the doctor would never really let me come to real harm, although as we approached the very depths of rotten cops, I couldn't help remembering all the terrible times when he had let really awful things happen to me. In Chroma, for instance, and Paris, and that moon with all the robots and, and all kinds of places. 
It wasn't quite true that he was always there to whisk me out of peril. Sometimes Mrs. Wibsey has to come to her own rescue. Then, all at once, we had reached our destination. Blazing torches illuminated an open glade. There were acolytes there, or rather villagers got up in satin robes. All of them had masks. Some of them were ornate things with horns and skulls. Actual skulls. Others were more makeshift. I noticed a Spider-Man. But the point is that everyone was there incognito as they held hands in a circle and started the dance. Tish and I wore the two lovely jewelled carnival masks that the doctor once brought back from 1954. Tish squeezed my hand in a gesture of solidarity, but I could hear her breath quickening and her palm was sweaty. She was exhilarated, I thought. She's actually enjoying being a party to this. Just as the chanting became what I would consider frenzied, the star of the show arrived in our midst in full satanic regalia. Her outfit was pastel blue and pink, and you could tell at a glance she was sky-clad underneath. She didn't even bother with a mask, and her bouffant hair was immaculately set. Camilla Cookson stepped into the centre of the dancing circle, with her closest acolytes all around her, and she was carrying a metal tray with her, a tray containing squashy cakes. It almost made me gag the way those worshippers went seething forward to take the bounty she had brought them. Soon there was a lip-smacking, cream-squirting orgy of bun-munching going on. I had no choice but to take part in this decadent ritual. As I stepped forward to select a cake from the tray, I locked eyes with Camilla herself. She seemed to look straight through my Venetian mask, and I know she knew it was me. She smiled welcomingly and a little bit nastily. I chose a cream horn and hurried back to the circle, trying to block out the vulgar sight of excessive greed and sensuous pleasure coming at me from all angles. Moments later, the real ritual began. Tish nudged me to be on the alert. I was busy watching the two acolytes at either side of Miss Cookson as they removed their masks. Blow me if it wasn't Wanda and Vera, the two women from the mini-mart. They flanked their mistress and stood there, smeared in cream and covered in crumbs. Suddenly, they both flung out their fingers and pointed into the very centre of the glade. A vortex of spiralling silver opened up out of nowhere. Tish seized my arm. See? It's another dimension, my dear. I nodded, feeling parched. That cream horn had been rather stale, and the taste was rank in my mouth. I stood there appalled as the others swayed and chanted into that aperture that led goodness knows where. I'd seen vortices before, and in my experience there was usually something unpleasant at the other end. 
Tishy's manicured hand hadn't loosened its grip on my arm. I tried to shake her off, but she tightened her hold. Suddenly, the penny dropped. Tish had been subsumed by the mysteries of Hexford and the transponder device. That was the last calm thought I experienced before I was dragged bodily into the middle of the witch's circle. Villagers glared down at me as one. When they removed their masks, every single face was familiar. But rather than smiling and passing the time of day, as they might normally have done, they gurned with hatred and distrust. Camilla Cookson stepped forward. You've always been the outsider here, Fenella Wibsy. You've tried to fit in, but it's hopeless. What do you have to offer the villagers? They loathe you, you know, with your nasty little mind. No, I moaned. It isn't like that. You thought you could worm your way into my coven by pretending to help me, said the confectioner in a shrill, mocking tone. But your true loyalty will always be for that silly man from outer space and inner time. You'll never betray him, even if you're careless with his alien toys and gigors, even if you let them fall into the hands of folk like me. <laughs> she laughed then, and the spinning vortex became busier and noisier. There were shapes emerging from deep inside that long, silvery tunnel. I never asked you here to join our number, laughed Miss Cookson. I asked you here because I have friends, very hungry friends, who are at the end of a very long journey, and they will want to chew on your stringy old bones. I stared into her twisted, crazy face, and it was blurring and changing, and so were those of her two friends, either side of her, Vera and Wanda. They were stretching and morphing, their eyes were glowing, gold and black. A thunderous beating noise filled my ears. It was the beating of wings. Who are you? I managed to choke out. Hoo-hoo! The three women cackled, and their mouths hardened and twisted into the shape of savage, curling beaks. Then, at last, a figure began to solidify in the mists of the vortex. With its immense wings spread out and its talons outstretched, the new arrival reached towards me with horrible inevitability, ready to rip me open and feast on my gizzards. The villagers shrank back in fear. For them, this had all gone too far. But I was held firm by the creatures either side of me, forced to face the feathered demon emerging from the dazzling light. It was a huge owl, emerging talons first from the swirl of silver clouds. Its golden eyes were the size of cartwheels, and its wingspan seemed as wide as the gloomy glade itself. By now, the other would-be satanic celebrants had given up all pretense at ritual and were milling about in panic. The giant owl was very noisy, screeching horribly above the demented laughter of Miss Cookson. It was hungry, 
That's what its cries sounded like to me, and I was standing right in front of it. I was to be the sacrificial victim. That was my role here. I was supper. At that very moment, the doctor pounced from his hiding place in the undergrowth. His scarf looped madly about him and his coat flared out as he came dashing into the clearing, carrying his assortment of technological devices. Somehow he made himself heard over all that hullabaloo. Well, well, or should I say, to wit, to woo, how extraordinary and how wonderful. Congratulations, ladies. Just look at the monster you've gone and summoned up. With Mike Yates following at his heels, looking suspiciously like a good dog, the doctor interposed himself firmly between myself and the recently manifested monstrosity. Camilla Cookson was beside herself with fury. How dare you intrude upon our ritual? The doctor shrugged as if he hadn't a care in the world. I don't think much of your ritual. There was hardly any singing or chanting. It was mostly you lot gorging yourself on sticky, sickly cakes. Hardly the ice-death pod, was it? I noticed that the gigantic owl seemed to be suspended at the mouth of the vortex, glaring at the small human beings and gnashing its horned bill, but apparently unable to come closer. What is that device of yours doing, Doctor? thundered the High Priestess. He beamed at her. It's keeping your feathered chum in a kind of holding pattern. <laughs> he can't quite break through to this dimension and eat everyone. Not while I'm controlling this rather marvellous invention of mine. Camilla Cookson waved her most loyal lackeys, the transformed Vera and Wanda, forward. Mike squared up to them, growling menacingly preparing to protect both the doctor and me, but I could see it would be quite hopeless. There and then, I realized that the doctor hadn't yet reversed his silly experiment with the ulterior wave machine. The doctor became deadly serious. My friends and I won't give in without a fight. I'm not about to let you feed my housekeeper to that ghastly thing. But Camilla Cookson seemed very sure of herself as she flexed her golden talons and preened the stiff white feathers framing her face. The transponder is too powerful for even you, Doctor. Can't you feel its influence stealing over you? Don't you feel your self-control slipping moment by moment? It was true. The doctor looked as if he was engaged in some internal struggle. I called out to him, What's happening, doctor? She... She's turning up the power on the transponder... device, he gasped. Beside him, Mike was whimpering and slipping senselessly to the ground. We are being subsumed to her will. And then I saw Tish standing there with the transponder's remote control, her face devoid of any willpower at all, her hand mercilessly turning the dial. But why couldn't the machine control me, I wondered. What was so special about me? Could it be that I'd been taken over and possessed so many times in the past that I'd built up a resistance to that kind of thing? Even so, the buffeting waves of violent mental energies were raging against me, 
And though I didn't give in to her evil control, I found myself losing consciousness. The terrifying scene around me suddenly went very dark indeed. When I woke up, I'd been moved elsewhere. There was a concrete floor beneath me, and I was indoors. A basement, perhaps, judging by the musty, fusty, horrible smell. Blearily, I sat up. At least I could see daylight. A thin trickle of it slanted down from high cellar windows. I realised then that I wasn't alone. There were others cowering fearfully against the walls. People in rags, filthy, smeared in blood and dirt. They were making semi-human guttural noises and they shrank back as I stood up. What's the matter with you lot? I frowned. Wait a minute, I thought. At first they had seemed hardly human, but now that I took a better look... Wasn't that Mr. Franks from the little garage just outside the village? And there was Emily Strange, the postmistress we rescued just the other day. It turned out that she was the most bold of that pathetic lot. When she recognised me, she came shambling forward. Her hair was lank and she was wearing nothing but a ragged petticoat. I never got a chance to thank you for saving me in the woods. I was inside that hideous spore thing and, and left for dead. Emily's eyes were wild and wide. And now they're going to eat me again. Can you think of a fate worse than that to... To be eaten by those hideous things twice over? On hearing this, the other prisoners moaned and wailed, scrabbling at the walls fearfully. Slowly, I realised that they were all people who had vanished from the woods in recent weeks. Do you mean that this is their larder? I gasped in horror. The postmistress nodded. I was coughed up by accident in that pellet. They've put me back here to be enjoyed again. There were folk there of all ages, all types. But to the owls from that other dimension, they were simply food. Is that really all we are to them? I wondered aloud. All this fuss just to keep them fed? Camilla has told us, said Emily, where they come from. A benighted place with hardly any other life forms. When they discovered that they could travel here, all they could think about was feasting upon our flesh and bones and blood. It's all they want to do. I was glad that the villagers were at least still alive. They were out of their minds with fear, but they hadn't been eaten yet. They weren't starving either, I realised. Someone was feeding them. Oh, yes, Emily confirmed. The owls want us to be plump and juicy. And then, 
As if on cue, the cellar door was unlocked from the other side. It swung open to reveal Tish Maddock. Standing there with a blank look on her face and a large tray of squashy cream cakes. After what had gone on in the glade, the very sight turned my stomach. But the prisoners went surging forward, grunting eagerly at the sight of Miss Cookson's baked goods. Keep calm and eat more cakes, Tish Maddock cried out in a falsely bright voice. Oh, Tish, I thought. I always had my suspicions about you. Keep calm, keep calm mumbled my fellow prisoners as they queued for creamy cakes. Eat more cake! Eat more cake! I stole closer as the crowd milled ravenously around Tish. But I wasn't edging forward for the same reason as the rest of them. No fear. There was something in those cakes, I was sure of it, something that sapped the willpower of the villagers just as surely as that alien transponder device did. Just then, I became furious, filled with a preternatural kind of strength. How else could I have burst forward and slammed my whole body into Tish Maddock? Since moving in with Deirdre, she's twice the size of me, but I hit her with such desperate force that both she and her tray of baked goods went flying up into the air. All the pitiful prisoners were moaning. Now covered in ruined cream cakes, Tish picked herself up off the floor, her eyes blazing gold and black with hatred. But I wasn't so easily put off. A power born of sheer desperation coursed through my veins. Recalling some of the self-defence manoeuvres Mike had once taught me, I knocked Tish out, stone cold, sending her slumping back down onto the floor. Instantly, the zombie-like visitors were upon her, slavering and grasping, avid for pastry, icing and cake. I didn't stick around to watch. I was up those cellar steps in a flash and soon found myself, as expected, in the back rooms of the little Hexford cake shop of dreams. It was the heart of all the evil in the village, just as I had suspected. I dashed round the corner and let out a cry of triumph to find the office unlocked and the transponder in its usual place on the confectioner's desk. It pulsed and wailed, and I knew at once what I had to do. Smash it, destroy it, put it right out of action. It was my fault. It was being used for nefarious purposes in the first place. I'd stupidly thought it could pacify everyone during the local elections and, and put an end to all the argy-bargy and conflicting opinion. But you can't tamper with people's minds. I should have known that. And so it was only right that I put pay to this terrible trinket myself, even if it was from the doctor's collection. I picked up an office chair and brought it crashing down on the delicate equipment. It was a great big flash and black smoke poured everywhere. Those green waves of energy went fizzy and then 
stopped. I'd done it. But then, in the silence that followed, I became aware of a presence behind me. I whirled around, coughing with smoke inhalation, and saw Camilla standing in the doorway and looking downright feral with annoyance. Also, she was still partially covered in feathers. And beside her stood the doctor. He'd come to help me, I thought. Not quite in the nick of time, in fact, rather late as it happens. I'd had to escape and destroy the wicked transponder myself, but, oh, I was glad to see him anyhow. Doctor! I cried out. But his face was blank, and his eyes bulged idiotically. He raised both hands as if to show how he wanted to throttle the life out of me. And then he advanced towards me, intoning as he came, Keep calm and eat more cake. Camilla Cookson had become the most horrific creature I had ever seen. I stared as she threw back her immaculate bouffant and her savage bill emitted cackles of glee. I wasn't about to let myself get caught and eaten up by those ravenous creatures. As far as I could tell, I was the only one in the whole of Hexford still in my right mind. With everyone depending on me, I couldn't afford to give in now. I pushed forward, using every iota of my remaining strength. I'm a lot tougher than I look, and I gave that prissy confectioner a flat-handed shove that sent her whirling into the doctor and her other lackeys. There were cakes everywhere, and starving villagers running rampant, keen to get their hands on these awful, sugary things. She's getting away, roared the doctor, and it was true. I was out of there, darting past the feathery forms of Wanda and Vera, and also Mike Yates, who made a confused kind of yapping noise. Tish Maddock made a grab for me, but I easily gave her the slip as I hurtled through the shop and headed for the door. There's one thing I've noticed about those possessed by alien intelligences. Their reflexes can be quite slow. By the time they finish telling you all about their master's cosmic plans, you're halfway to giving them the slip. I crashed out through the shop door and fled across the village green. I'd escaped briefly, but I couldn't afford to be smug about it. They were soon on my heels and after me. And where did I go, you ask? Isn't it obvious? I made straight for the shelter of Nest Cottage, which nestled reassuringly under its thatched roof, my usual place of safety. I decided to barricade myself in and have a few minutes to think clearly. Captain, I gasped as he jumped up, barking, delighted to see me again. I fell into the cottage breathlessly and locked the front door. Oh, Captain, you won't believe what's been going on. The wolfhound looked at me with a wisdom beyond its doggy years, and I felt the first stirrings of an idea inside this old noggin of mine. A rapid glance through the net curtains of the living room proved that I had even less time to spare than I had imagined. 
Already the crazed army of Camilla Cookson was marching forth across the village green. They were brazen now. They didn't care who saw them in their wings and feathers in their mutated half-states. The doctor came lurching with them like a shambling zombie in a multicoloured scarf. This had better work, I muttered worriedly, as Captain poured at me. He clearly knew something ghastly was happening and was after reassurance. All I could think about was the ulterior wave transmitter. That was our only hope, wasn't it? It was still tangled up in its wires on the armchair before the cold fireplace. I tried to recall how first Mike and then the doctor had made it work. It seemed like years ago already. Festoons of leads and, and clunky metal bits. It was like unwinding the Christmas tree lights, but with rather more at stake. There. At last, the controls were blinking and flashing as if it was ready to start doing what it was supposed to do. Just in time. Captain was barking like crazy at the sound of a key in the front door, which swung open heavily, admitting the doctor and his new friends. Mrs. Wibsey, we have come for you, the doctor said in a horrible, hollow voice. The owls are most interested in this mind of yours, impervious to possession. They think you must have a very delicious brain. I forced myself to start laughing mockingly, just like the doctor always did in the face of deadly danger. No one's eating my brains today, thank you. I'm ending up in no one's owl pellet. <laughs> and with that, I activated the alien machine, flipping switches with a bit more confidence than I truly felt, until the whole thing started juddering in my hands. Camilla Cookson pushed herself past the doctor, glaring impatiently around the cottage's interior. What are you doing, Mrs. Wibsey? Why do you resist? Everyone in this village belongs to my masters. Something about her superior tone put my back right up. Don't think you're the first alien race to drop your wicked ambitions on our doormat. We've had our fair share of people coming here wanting to enslave us and take us over, I warned her. It never works out well for them. With that, I switched on the doctor's doodah and prayed for the best. I zapped her good and proper. A very pretty lilac-coloured ray shot out and enveloped the crazed confectioner. No! bellowed the doctor, but it was too late. The consciousness that had last been cut and pasted inside the device when the doctor did his demonstration was imprinting itself upon the mind of Camilla Cookson. And sure enough, the ferocious woman's face suddenly went blank. She blinked at me, and at the doctor, and at the followers at her back. Woof, she asked, in a voice not her own. Captain, I transmitted a version of his heart and soul into her head. And what's more, I'd broken the psychic control she had over her servants in one fell swoop. 
Suddenly they were dropping like flies, those feral villagers crowding up the garden path and the feathery forms of the women from the mini-mart. The doctor himself was swaying on the spot like a giant redwood tree that was about to fall. Woof, asked the doctor's wolfhound through the mouth of our enemy. I grasped that transmitter device and felt revolted by the weird power it held. It had the actual power to blow a personality out of its skull, just like the contents of an egg. But where had the mind of Camilla Cookson, the evil confectioner, been sent, I wondered. The doctor shook his head and steadied himself, trying to get a grip on the situation. Was I possessed? He glared around at us all, outraged. Then he recognized the setting as his own sitting room. He saw me standing there clutching the ulterior wave transmitter. It was still belching out purple fumes. Oh dear, Wibsy, what have you gone and done now? Camilla Cookson said in a rather masculine voice, Woof! And then, surprising us all, the tall, creaky form of the actual Captain Yates stepped forward. What have you done to me? He said in a voice not his own. This isn't me. My hands. My hair. None of this is me. I'm a beautiful lady, and you... You've... You've... Turned me into... An old man. He whirled on the spot, staggered out of the cottage, running pell-mell into the garden. I looked at the doctor. I hope you've done the right thing, Mrs. Wibbs, he said, as Captain started to bark with all the pent-up frustration of a retired army officer. I gritted my teeth. I did the only thing I could, I said. I was pushed right back against the wall and there was nothing left, just that machine. He nodded and turned to bustle with me out of the cottage. The servants of the baker were returning to life, staggering about with no clue as to who they were anymore. Their moans filled the air. But all noise was blotted out moments later by the screeching roar that came echoing from the village green. It was a noise like that made by some kind of prehistoric creature. A sound I hadn't heard since an ill-advised weekend the Doctor and I once spent in that dreadful era. That gigantic owl creature had emerged from the woods and was settling on the green. By daylight, it was even more impressively hideous. The villagers were appalled as their senses returned to them. Is this the thing we've been worshipping, they seem to be saying? Is this the monster she enslaved us to? Suddenly, they knew there was nothing in those huge, dark eyes but greedy appetite. All it wanted to do was feast upon their flesh. The doctor quickly asked for the ulterior wave transmitter. Are you going to swap its mind over? I asked. It has a very tiny mind, he said. Hardly worth bothering with. No, I'm going to do something a bit more fiddly and urgent. I gasped then at the sight of Camilla Cookson in the body of our beloved Captain Yates running straight into the claws of the beast. It's going to eat him! Her! Him! I shrieked. 
Then that familiar lilac beam started spraying out of the device. It was a little less focused than it ought to be with the colander thingies and the wires dangling down. I got the feeling that we could soon have everyone's personalities swapping over and flying all over the place if the doctor wasn't more careful. He took a more certain aim and then nodded with satisfaction. I think I've got her back in her right mind, the doctor frowned. And Mike back in his, and the dog back in his, too, he said with a flash of inspiration. A bit like Ophelia in Hamlet, remember? Some say the owl was a baker's daughter, or vice versa. I was glad to hear the doctor talking complete nonsense again. Captain the Wolfhound was barking joyfully at being back in his own mind. Mike! Mike! came a sudden panicky Welsh scream. A nearby front door flew open and out came Deirdre Watsit, tottering about, terrified but determined to save the man she loved. Yes, she loved him. I could see that now, the truth they'd all been blind to. He was on the grass, cowering before the vast, ferocious owl. The claws and bill came lashing at him, but Deirdre was there first. She'd snatched the brass poker from her fireplace and was brandishing it like a true warrior. Mike tried to stand. Then he tried to work out who he was, Camilla or Captain Yates. The lilac smoke billowed and grew darker as the ulterior wave device continued pulsating violently. It's going to explode, I believe, cried the doctor, hurling it away from him. And then Camilla Cookson staggered around in front of the god she had been appeasing and sending sacrifices to. You could tell she was back in her own body because she was yelling, It's me! I'm your high priestess! You must do as I command! The owl creature blinked very slowly. It seemed to be considering her. Don't you know me? She cried. It's me, Camilla Cookson. All I ever wanted to do was feed you. I wanted to feed everyone good, wholesome, lovely food. Can't you see that it's all I ever wanted to do? I simply wanted to feed you all. said the giant owl very loudly. And then it ate Camilla Cookson. In one, two, three rapid bites. We all stood staring, appalled. The doctor broke the silence. I suppose she must have been covered in icing sugar and frosting and all manner of delicious things. He could hardly resist her. Now the creature was circling the village green, flapping and screeching its triumph. But it had devoured its greatest fan in Hexford. No one else wanted it here. Tish Maddock was horrified as she returned to her senses. She stared at Deirdre, cradling Mike as they lay on the grass. What on earth's been happening? The doctor pointed out that everyone had better get themselves indoors. The gigantic owl had staunched its appetite for a minute or two at most, but it would be back to eat the others if they didn't get themselves to safety. The villagers didn't need telling twice. And how are we going to send that owl thing back to its own dimension? I asked. The doctor grinned at me. He looked exhausted and bloody and battered. 
but still up to the challenge. Do you know, Mrs. Wibsey, I might have just the thing for that stored away in the cellar. And it turned out that he did. He called it something that sounded like a TARDIS tuner, although he was mumbling when he said it. Whatever it was called, it meant that he could open up a gap in the dimensions wherever he wanted. The only tricky thing was luring that huge bird of prey into it. And that's where the clockwork mouse came in. You see, the doctor said, we can have mind transmogrifiers and dimensional vortices and all the fancy gubbins you could ever wish for, but sometimes all you need is something very, very simple. We watched from the safety of Nest Cottage's front garden as the owl chased the mouse into the silvery vortex on the green. Suddenly, in the blink of a vast, dark, golden eye, it was gone. We were all safe again. It hardly seemed possible. Something as simple as a clockwork mouse. I smiled. <laughs> or a very determined housekeeper, he grinned. Now, let's go and see how all our friends are doing. I wonder if anyone fancies a nice, squashy cream cake with their tea. Doctor Who, The Winged Coven, was written by Paul Mars. It was read by Susan Jameson and is published by BBC Audio. Audible hopes you've enjoyed this programme.